This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. And as always, we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. Now, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or other podcast platforms where you can find us, I strongly encourage you to do that. Once you subscribe, you will be getting episodes of this show on your device as soon as it's available. And in this episode, we have Gunai Aliva, co-founder at Gamelight. Gunai, welcome to the Bins podcast. Hi, Artem. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Terrific. Thank you for coming. All right, so uh, we live in a world of smart things, smart homes, smart cars. I don't mean the smart car brand for Mercedes in general, fleets of electrical vehicles from Tesla, Rivian, Polestar, and so on. They are full of high tech that makes them smart. And this list wouldn't be complete if I wouldn't mention, right, smartphones and apps. So before late 2022, we thought we saw it all. And then ChatGPT happened. Boom. People who didn't follow AI research and development, meaning the majority of population, were shocked by what it was capable of doing. And quite frankly, they haven't seen what it can do for science and medicine yet. Mostly the focus has been on generation of text for marketing, online publication, and so on. In this episode, we have Gunai to talk about AI potential for mobile advertising and app marketing. But first, Gunai, before we begin to talk about the topic on the table, uh, tell us about yourself, please. Sure. My name is Gunai. Uh, I'm co-founder of Gamelight, and I've been in mobile app games and app tech industry since more than 10 years now. I worked in Berlin and Hamburg in different startups. And since last four to five years, I launched my own companies. I have three startups that I launched, latest being Gamelight. Um, which is the AI company for mobile marketing, if shortly. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. That's that that's a lot for four or five years. Um, tell me about Gamelight. What sets you apart from the rest uh, on the market? What you guys do? So the Gamelight. On one hand, we are an app publisher and developer, and we build game recommendation platforms where we recommend games to our users that they can try out. And for trying out, they can earn different rewards like Google Play Watchers, Amazon Watchers, and so on. On the other hand, we are a mobile marketing platform and we work with game publishers and app publishers to promote their apps within our game recommendation app recommendation platforms. And within uh, between those two parts, we built an AI algorithm that matches the users to the apps the best way. So it analyzes a lot of um, user data, user behavior, playtime of users, verticals, as well as device, manufacturer, and other details, and sees can predict which user would behave the best in which app or game, and then decides uh, to which user we will recommend which game. And thanks to this, we managed to get very high results, engagement, and retention rates because users get the apps they love, and publishers get the users that are loyal to them. Sure. Uh, by the way, why game light? <laughs> You're shedding lights uh, on games? You can say so. So initially we started with purely games. Uh, it was just for mobile games. 
And since a few months ago, we started also opening up for mobile apps uh, because the concept works and we did adjustments for the algorithm that would fit the mobile apps more too. Um, but in general, yeah, because we, we shed the light on mobile games to make them more uh, bright and more successful. Gotcha. All right. Now, um, in general, what are your thoughts about what's going on with AI right now? Because it's a lot. It influenced your work um, many levels and, you know, pretty much anything. Like I can pull up OpenAI app on my iPhone standing in a museum, just pointing my camera to something and telling me, tell me more about this thing. And it does miracles. Um, even translating from ancient language gives me a partial translation, which is just amazing. You're not expecting something like the experiment, you know, Google Translate. So what are your general thoughts about what's going on with AI? I'm extremely excited about it. So the, the progress we've had in the last couple of years within our industry is crazy. And it happened a lot due to AI too, because it's both core AI and also supportive AI that companies can use to just make their lives easier, that they can focus more on their core business. And there's been so much progress in the last couple of years, and I'm super excited for the next, because I think within the next three years, probably, the whole ecosystem will change a lot. We will not be doing anything that we were doing a couple of years ago, and the way companies work will change, the companies in the market will change, and it's very, very exciting. Right, and I just want to remind people that if they don't remember, uh, we, we used to be just you know before the late 2022 in this phase of ai as people in the field call winter because the ai industry ai technology the idea has been with us since the mid 20th century and it's been going up and down going through the periods of spring and winter in 50s 60s 70s there was the periods of uh, spring you know, when the new ideas were coming alive and there was a lot of um, uh, inspiration and optimism about the future then the people kind of staled for a while we we were going through the periods of winter and we were recently in this period of winter when the people were kind of um you know cooled off about its potential because um after uh, um the you know previous so-called uh, breakthrough of uh, recognizing um, certain elements in the photos. Uh, people remember you know, the first breakthrough when they, they could see, um, they could uh, get the people being recognized in the pictures in their photo libraries. And uh, it, people had a feeling that that's it. Like uh, there is a, this is what we're going to be going with. So AI would mean only um, helping us to uh, manage our content, uh, photo, video, probably text, but that's it. Like generative component wasn't on the radar of so many people, like I said, only, you know, folks who are in the industry paying close attention, who were, you know, in the midst of, uh, creating this new tech, obviously knew that it's coming. So here we go. 2024, <laughs> um, it's more than a year. Uh, since the whole thing took off, uh, we've seen the hype, we've seen the optimism, pessimism. People were uh, arguing about the um, you know, great implications um, for technology like all over the place, as well as uh, obviously there are, there's always externalities in every technology that people come up with. So let's focus right now on the 
what AI can do for mobile advertising. And in what areas do you see its great potential to solve problems for advertisers? Perhaps you can give us some examples. Um, sure. The, I, I think the biggest factor that impacted our lives, also supporting what you told us, that it became AI became kind of mainstream in the last couple of years. That it's not anymore um, a tool that bigger companies use to make more precise decisions, but it's something that every person, for example, marketing managers, advertising managers, content creators, designers can use in their day-to-day -day lives to make their lives easier too. And I think it had a huge impact. And what um, I think that the best tools, so to say, is that, for example, we within Gamelight, we have our own AI algorithm, right? This is the core of our business, but we also use a lot of AI tools just to support us. So it has nothing to do with Gamelight specifically, but we use them because be it our designers or the same product marketing managers or user acquisition managers or content creators, it makes our life so much easier. For example, Mid Journey for uh, asset production, or we use, uh, for example, DeepL for translations, which has very good, uh, which has very good translation to native languages that we need, local languages that we have. Um, or, for example, if we um, if you think of uh, the future that's coming up, I think which will be more is the AI algorithms. For example, starting with Gamelight, and I'm very sure there will be more of those coming up because until now everyone used more manual targetings or rule-based algorithms which are simply not as optimal they work but they can be much much better and i think those will be coming up more so probably within the next again two to three years i believe more companies will switch to ai algorithms or there will be companies that come up that purely focus on ai algorithms too yeah i think uh, ai helping us to do what well was kind of a natural uh, um, candidate dealing with it more and more uh, bigger volumes of information uh, on the level, on the scale when for a human being just not possible to process. So you need to use, because AI as a technology has been used in many um, industries up till this point, like, you know, astronomy, physics, uh, there are areas where AI um, is the technology for processing information uh, has been used for a number of years and we just see that generative AI and what OpenAI, Google, Amazon and others uh, are bringing on the table um, give all these capabilities uh, just like you mentioned for um, advertising f filling the industry with the expertise um, with the capabilities that are not just were not possible yesterday um, so yeah, I'm, I'm personally stunned with what the, this recent uh, um, release from OpenAI um, generating a video on yet even better uh, um, level than it was pre previously possible. And obviously right now it's just a few um, video demos. The software is not like the tool is not available even in the beta for developers. But I think it's coming. They're just working on the last um, um, things to make sure that it's actually working and uh, beyond simple uh, bunch of uh, video demos. But yeah, this is like um, the difference between the real video and generated is not there anymore. It's so fantastically real um, and authentic. All right, let's switch to marketing. Um, how does AI fit into this area? What is AI role for user acquisition and retention? These two big topics. 
from what I've seen from industry players, also the peers that share their opinion, what uh, also what we see, obviously, a lot in creative production, uh, the same journey, or for example, Canva to do different variations. And I'm so excited about OpenAI Sora. I feel like it will be very, very exciting. Like it will change the right. whole thing, how we produce creatives and what kind of things we can produce. So it's uh, very, very exciting to see that. And uh, on the other hand, uh, if it's uh, user acquisition specifically, uh, again, comes in the algorithms and uh, analytics tools and um, the same for retention, for example, companies like uh, Gamelight that can give rewards for users that can push uh, users retention further more than it would be without the rewards, for example. So those are all going to impact the day-to-day -day life of app marketers. And when you think of what they what is usual day-to-day -day life of app marketers, right? They agree with companies to launch initially, and then uh, they have to set up campaigns, update creatives, analyze them, analyze campaign, try to push the ROAS, try to push engagement retention. And all of those things are areas where we already had uh, AI impact and there are already tools to make it better. And it's going to get just easier for UA managers and app marketers to perform better and to get better results and put their focus on something more strategic and something where we actually do need human input than, I don't know, another creative of 100 different versions of the same thing with different picture. You don't need actually human to sit, create and click so many times to create them. So it's uh, it's just much easier for UA managers to do their job and perform better if they have all of those tools in hand. And they are, they are going to be more and more in the upcoming years too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm glad to see that finally, we don't see those issues with six fingers or you know, extra limbs and the uh, you know, people figures and photos and video production. Um, so uh, those um, problems are solved. Um, and um, I think AI in the creative department in every app marketing company is that quote unquote person that can help you with um, any problem you have on the table right now. And uh, it's available anytime you're not, um, it's like a part of like a very important part of your team. Uh, it's, it doesn't replace folks in your team who are uh, great in creating something new original. Because uh, in foreseeable future, I'm not seeing um, AI replacing that part of the equation. It will be always, I hope, at least in foreseeable future, um, that the the decision to create something new to innovate will be uh, on humans. But implementation, scaling, uh, A/B testing, uh, that's just you know dealing with the things that are again. Um, just look at any, any other task when it's about uh, uh, dealing with a big volume uh, and in a short period of time, just human mind is not capable of doing that work that fast. So this is your super um, know, spreadsheets calculator of a new level, uh, which you know wasn't possible yesterday. So yeah, like I, I totally see what you mean about uh, Soro as the video production tool. Uh, and um, obviously, um, like a, a lot of uh, app marketing agencies are innovating on the solutions that are provided to them, yeah, embed those tools into their uh, production process, which, yeah, this is the evolution uh, we're witnessing right now. Um, so, yeah, we've 
so far we've been covering the you know the bright side of the equation the pros but we know there's always the other side let's let's flip the coin what are limitations and cons for ai uh, in app marketing and mobile advertising in your view I think one of those is what you kind of mentioned uh, that it should be in the right hands we should know how to use the tool there's always needs to be human who will direct in the right direction and know how to implement the outcomes or what kind of data needs to be input to get what kind of results and, and on one hand it makes it easy to use right because it's much easier than having a team of 30 people doing manually this and still not getting the same result but uh, companies should be careful that if this is in hands of someone not capable. And by not capable, I don't mean that they don't have skills in general, but for example, there can be people that are used to using previous non-AI related tools, for example. And they're right. used to having certain ways of working and the thinking towards those, what kind of outcome should be there or what kind of input should be there. And if they don't handle AI tools properly, it might sound like, this is not a good way to go. So a company might just ditch using those AI solutions and go to the previous way of working and it will put them behind everyone else because if other companies start using the tools, they will obviously get ahead and have better results than, than, than the competitors. But um, I think the companies in general and the people should be careful that having in general open mind how to use the tools and what kind of uh, results to expect uh, should be kind of prepared and have the right person to deal with them. Um, and on the other hand, what can be a limitation, so to say, is that for any AI uh, tools, we need to have a lot of data input. And it's sometimes not really possible. For example, if I think of uh, AI algorithms, you always have to have a lot of input, a lot of beat uh, events or user data or game related data. You need to have a lot of data for the AI to analyze and to have the outcome. And if there's not enough data, uh, the results might not be what you expect because there was not much to analyze. Uh, it might be what you expect. It might be what you didn't expect, but it's basically luck-based because there's not enough data to analyze. And this is kind of a limitation because the result might be kind of surprising. Um, but in most cases, I think if there is, um, if the tool is good and if there's a lot of data and if it's in the hands of the right people to use, to utilize it the best way, the results should be there. It's just how you handle all of this process and it's new for a lot of people so it can like it needs a lot of training for for everyone who has touch points is it right it's a great point we're not talking about the tool that does magic if there's no data to analyze uh, no chat gpt or gemini for google will be capable of doing anything useful for you uh it's creating like i said it's creating uh, processing uh, big volumes of information, finding the patterns that are not visible for us. This is like uh, the gist, like the major uh, advantage of using AI and, and right now generative AI. Uh, but um, if the the volume of information is not there, it's just useless. And um, yeah, um, I think um, Last year, I've heard it, this phrase many times, do not be afraid of generative AI tools, be afraid of people who know how to use those tools because they're going to be getting a leg up on you and your business. So yeah, adapt, uh, play with the tool, uh, find the right use for you, for your workflow. Um, and again, we're not talking about replacing people because none of those tools will be capable of being just plugged into your company as the new employee 
replacing the whole workflow that the person who was doing this job previously was doing. It's just another tool that it will be uh, augmenting the capabilities of your team. All right. Now, I know that uh, you have a, a number of years under your belt of experience in digital marketing. So the next question goes to you uh, as to every person, uh, every guest on the show who has an extensive experience in the field. So looking at the app industry as a whole right now, what would you like to change about it the most? Very interesting question. Um, I think it would be duopoly of Google Play and Apple App Store. I think this is not just about um, why those two big companies are there, why they can't be third or fourth or fifth, which would obviously be good to have. But in general, I think it's limiting app publishers and game publishers a lot. Because if, if it would be, for example, like in World Wide Web and they could use any uh, payment providers and instead of paying 30%, they could pay 5%, 10%, that would be normal anywhere else um, or even less maybe. The companies would be more experimental. They could try some solutions, some uh, features within their apps that right now is not possible because they would just go negative if they tried this out. And uh, I think the whole ecosystem would grow a lot because the companies, all game and app publishers would have new features, new products. Maybe they would come up with something also revolutionary or innovative. And this is happening way less because you have to be a huge company with huge investment to afford some uh, risky moves, so to say. And if you are a smaller company, you can try, but you might fail. Then you're bankrupt, which no one wants to be, or you might be lucky and it just works out and then you get an investment to grow. But uh, I think if this changes, if there are three, four, five more stores, it would first uh, keep uh, also Google Play and App Store a bit more in line with their regulations. And second, it would help the whole ecosystem to grow more because there would, there would be more possibilities for everyone. Yeah, the keyword regulations. Uh, I said the joke a couple of times on the show before. I'm going to repeat it again. Um, there's a great joke in Silicon Valley that uh, US companies are great in software, Asian companies, China specifically hardware and Europe does laws. So if, you, if it comes to regulation and laws, look at the, you know, direction of Europe, because it's uh, like every um, regulation uh, you can think of right now. Uh, that has big influence on the whole industry because there are no borders in the internet, as we know, when the big part of the ecosystem gets a new regulation, ultimately, actually pretty fast, the whole ecosystem should adapt. And um, yeah, obviously, we're in this stage uh, um, where my uh, Apple uh, was forced to open up the App Store in Europe uh, for developers uh, to allow them to publish their apps, uh, not only in the App Store, which is just huge change like i didn't see it's coming in a few, a few even a few years ago it was just you know like set in stone there are google play and bunch of stores for android but there's only one for ios and that's it but things are changing right now and uh, i can see both sides of the equation i can see why the app store with good team of uh, editors behind uh, checking out every app on the store, making sure there are no mal malware, spyware any anywhere inside. But there's a flip side, like you're saying, those fees, those infamous 30% app developers have been paying for years. 
and the funny i'm not sure it's funny but the fact is that uh, according to the recollection of the apple's team that number 30 percent wasn't born of uh, you know um deep thinking steve jobs just came up with a number he, sometimes he did those things he just came up with a number 30 percent sounds great sounds fair and here we go you know 10 10 plus years later we're talking about 30 percent and uh how it's been a you know, big bargain on the app developing community. All right, but things are changing, like I'm saying uh, at this very moment, because we're heading to March and uh, starting early March, uh, companies should comply with the Digital Markets Act for, uh, in Europe, and it will make a big influence on the app industry uh, as a whole. All right, we're finishing up with the first part of the show, and here comes the funny part, the second one, which is quick. And again, when I have a new guest on the show, uh, he or she gets to answer these few quick questions. This is how I hope, I, my hope is that the audience, our listeners, uh, have a chance to know my guests a little bit better once they know this a few more details about my guests. Okay, what smartphone do you have now? Um, are you been switching between two camps, you know, Android and iOS, or just staying one side all the time? Okay, right now I have a very old phone. Uh, it's Google Pixel 4a uh, since many years. Right now I'm using it. It's pretty old. I probably need to switch it by now. Um, I have switched multiple times between iOS and Android. I think for many years I, okay, initially it was Android, then for many years I had iOS. And now, uh, since four or five years ago, I switched to Android. I'm kind of not specific for OS versions, more that if I find a phone that's nice, I will probably just use it. For iOS, a huge benefit for me is that I can use AirDrop because I definitely use Mac. I always use Mac for work. And right now, it's a struggle. I'm sending files through Telegram <laughs> to connect my phone to. Oh, gosh. Not, not too comfy. Um, yeah, iOS is better for AirDrop, but um, in general, I think both both are good. Yeah, I got you. Because uh, quite frankly, we all stick to a number of uh, like core usage uh, cases for the devices we're using, and uh, the just a small the handful of apps that are available on both sides. And you know, thinking through this filter, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to question, like you know. <laughs> sharing files between your mobile device and computer yeah, yeah. drop is just great um so yeah if you don't have it yeah you, you have to adjust somehow even through the telegram like you're saying all right let's let's jump back in time so uh, what was your phone before the, your first uh, smartphone like did you have a mobile phone that you could put in your pocket but it was not a smartphone i did uh, my first couple of phones were actually not smartphone um the first, very first one I used was Nokia, um, but not the not the one that everyone knows. It had um, those the ones that had these covers where you could change the picture. It was like cutout pictures that you put under the cover, and the cover itself was transparent. I don't know if you know what phone I'm talking about. It was like quite popular at some point, like early two thousands or so. Um, yeah, that was, and I was very excited because it had like it came up with three different cover pictures, and I would change every day from one to another. I was an, I was a teen. It was it was fun, <laughs> and I was I used still non smartphones for many years, um, up until more or less when I started working in app industry, like maybe one to two years before that, and uh, then I started I switched to smartphones. Before that, I didn't use. I was a late adopter, but yeah, it was yeah. fun times. <laughs> 
sometimes I miss times without those push notifications and everything when I could just use a phone with phone number and messages. Yeah, speaking of externalities, yeah, there's always this thing, um, like you miss the, you realize what you're missing once you stop using it. Uh, yeah, this is, this was like the battery was better, uh, less, well, like the whole information flow that you've been, that you have to deal with these days was not there. It was easier to deal with your device, like, um, yeah. Uh, pros and cons, um, advantages and disadvantages, and um, we have to remember there are there are a couple hundred millions of uh, featured phones, not smartphones, in this world to to this day. If I remember the uh, correctly, the research uh, has been published, you know, for a number of years uh, on the background uh, of huge number of smartphones in people's hands, there is still this uh, pretty um, significant chunk of uh, featured phones that are still there, especially in the countries where smartphone is still luxury, still uh, folks in those countries just cannot afford those phones. And in so many cases, it's just a more reliable device, like uh, you're not thinking about charging it every damn day to make sure it's working. You just, you know, you <laughs> remember to charge your phone like once a week or tw twice a week yeah, that right. i now remember was one of the reasons i switched from iphone to google pixel because I, I was done with charging my phone every single day i was like i need another solution and then i found google pixel which kept for a couple of days so yeah it's definitely important yeah better life all right um imagine right now you left your uh, smartphone at home uh, it happened, you're out. Uh, what would be the most missing feature for you at that point? <laughs> I would miss, I would stop being distracted by push notifications. Um, but in general, I think, um, I don't think much because it actually did happen a couple of times. I left my phone and during the day, I'm usually just basically at work where I have my laptop and I also use phone primarily for work. So there was not too much actually missing. So I think if I would leave it at home, I I probably wouldn't notice it because it did well, happen a couple of times. Lucky for you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So you're, you're not dependent on your smartphone in any way. It's great. Um, Except my... All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If you think about it for a second, uh, is there something about your phone that you would like... Um, like it's missing um, certain feature, um, hardware, software, both that would be great if your device can do this or that. Um, something for you specifically, not trendy, not something people have been writing about, but what would make a better tool for you? Yeah, I, I think it would be something to make it more minimalistic. Uh, so that's that's something what I've been trying to find now among phones and OS versions and also iOS Android to find something where I, it doesn't have three different pages of main app or I don't know, widgets page, non-main app, all the apps list or uh, things like pre-installed apps, system apps that you can't delete but store definitely things. You need to have them, also maybe you don't need them. So I want to have something completely minimalistic where I can have one page with the apps that I actually use without more pages, without more apps that I can't delete and can't remove. It would be amazing. I think this would be my dream phone that I would stick to it for years to come. I've been trying to find this so far. I'm unlucky, but maybe maybe it comes because being minimalist is trendy last year. So maybe some some um, 
manufacture it as a phone like this and we have a simple os with simple phones got you too much too much stuff let's make yeah. it simpler all right before i let you go very very final question how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do simple i am on linkedin uh, they can go to they can try to find gunai aliyeva on gamelight or they can go to gamelight page and try to find me there gunai aliyeva and they can drop me a line um, I'm available. I will answer pretty fast. Cool. Good night. Thank you so much for spending time with us and being on the show. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you very much. It was very nice. Have a good day. My pleasure. And that was Gunai Aliyeva, co-founder of Gamelight. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search Business of Apps and you will find us easily. And remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.